years ago, when I was first started out as a pastor, um, I, w- I went to a leadership conference at uh, Gingsburg, Ohio, um, or Gingsburg Church, somewhere in Tip City, Ohio. And uh, I heard the pastor there use the phrase, he said, the, the role of the church and of the pastor is to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And I loved that phrase because there's so often um, where we as a church and as pastors and particularly the Word of God and the Holy Spirit um, can come alongside, have the opportunities to help people who are afflicted, who are in times of trouble and distress. And then there's also times where we as a church and as pastors and particularly the Word of God and the Holy Spirit can afflict those who have become too comfortable in their life and too comfortable in their faith. And uh, that moment, for many of you, may have been one of those afflicting the comfortable. You've never done that before, but I really appreciate your willingness to uh, experiment with that. I remember when I I didn't grow up in the church. I went to a little rural Baptist church, and it was all King James Bible and and hymns. And uh, when I went to college and I started dating this girl, the girl before my wife Karen, and she introduced me to campus ministry. Um, I walked in and they had the drums and the guitars and everything and people are clapping and they're raising their hands and I'm like, you guys are freaks. Like, this is not church. This is not the way you worship God. Um, but over time, as I, I immersed myself in that culture, um, I really came to appreciate some of those physical experiences of worship. And uh, so thank you for, for joining in, in that with us. Um, we're going to jump into Acts chapter 4 here in just a moment, but I want to do a little vision casting and some, some answering some questions um, about Project Freedom before we do. Uh, so now is a good opportunity. If you didn't bring your Bible, um, we've got house Bibles in the back on the back wall. Uh, feel free to get up and grab that while I'm talking through Project Freedom here, and then I'll pray in just a moment, and we'll grab into Acts chapter 4. So uh, go ahead and do that. Remember, church, we are a people of this book which means we need to be studying it daily and we need to be bringing it to church because this is where we study corporately together. So encourage you and challenge you to bring your, church, your Bible uh, every Sunday. Project Freedom. For those of you that are new with us, um, we are doing an entire fall semester-wide, church-wide campaign um, called Project Freedom. And our goal is to take the entire church body through Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class. Um, that's a 13-week class. Now, for you, we're going to pare it down to 10 weeks. So we already cut three weeks off that, right? So we're, we're looking out for you. Um, and it, it is the only discipleship uh, program that we're offering this fall. Uh, we're not offering any other small groups. The only other class that we're offering is our first step class, um, which will be for three weeks in the beginning of September. Um, but no other small groups meeting in people's homes or restaurants or businesses or anything like that. And the reason is we want to channel everybody through. It's kind of the old uh, Henry Ford uh, way of, of selling Model Ts. People would call up Henry Ford and say, hey, uh, can I get a Model T in whatever color I want? He said, sure, as long as the color you want is black um, because it's all, it's all we're selling. And so for the fall semester... All we're selling at Great Oaks is Dave Ramsey, financial peace. So uh, if you want to be involved in a program, class, small group, discipleship, um, this is what we want you to do. And I'm going to explain why. Um, I know that churches and money is a really sticky, emotional topic. And you don't like it when the church is talking about money. But can we just be honest? We, we're messed up. When it comes to our personal finances... None of us are doing what we're supposed to be doing. Um, This book contains over 2,000 references to money and biblical stewardship. And many of us have just taken this and said, I'm I'm good, God. I got it figured out. I don't need to listen to what you tell me on how to do it. And as a result, um, 70% of families are living paycheck to paycheck. Christian or non-Christian, doesn't matter. Seven out of ten families in this room right now, if you don't get your paycheck this next week, you're going to go into financial crisis. Seven out of ten. The leading cause of divorce in marriages, Christian and non-Christian alike, is money and money fights. 
Um, I read in USA or this this um, statistic from USA Today. This shocked me. Ninety-seven percent. Okay, in case you don't know math, that's a whole lot of people. Ninety-seven percent of sixty-five-year-olds. All right, people who've gone through almost their entire careers and lives. Ninety-seven percent of sixty-five-year-olds don't have even six hundred dollars in an emergency fund. That if they ran into a financial crisis, they could not write a check for six hundred dollars. To cover that financial crisis, they'd have to put on the credit card or borrow money from a bank or a friend. Friends, this is not the way God intended us to handle our money. And our goal as a church is simply to partner with the families of this church and the community. We, we're promoting this to the community, and we, I've networked with all the other area churches. And I've said, hey, this is what we're doing. We'd love to have you partner with us or send people our way. We're not trying to take your people from your churches. I mean, I met with all the pastors, and I said, this is what we're doing. I want you to be aware of it. Because we think this can revolutionize our church, our families, and our community. Um, Dave Ramsey's organization really challenges any church that does something like this uh, to not only teach the class, but tie in a church-wide initiative. In other words, um, you want to raise money for a, a building expansion. Uh, you want to raise, get a three-year commitment to, to reduce debt in the church. And we were encouraged and challenged to do that. And we said no. We don't want Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University class. We don't want Project Freedom this fall to be anything about this church We want, as leaders of the church, to partner with you to get your financial house in order because we know that we're messed up. And so I hope you understand our motive behind this. It is pure. It is simple. It is to help you as families. Um, So I'm going to pray here in just a moment. I'm going to answer some questions. I'm going to pray in just a moment. But my prayer is simply that we can save marriages and we can save families and we can start a revolution when it comes to how we handle our money in this community. A couple of questions have come up because we started registration last week. Um, $93. That's an awful lot for a class, Chris. Yes, it is. I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you. Um, when Karen and I wrote that check out, I was like, wow, $93. That's the most expensive 13-week small group experience I've ever had. But I can tell you it is well worth it. Um, it Dave Ramsey, as he teaches, and he's going to do all, all the teaching on DVD and then we just guide discussion. Um, as he teaches, he inspires he challenges, he ends up causing you to change your behavior. And a lot of stuff he teaches, he'll tell you this from day one, a lot of stuff he teaches is stuff your grandma could have taught you, all right? It's nothing new. Um, But what he's wanting you to do is get back, stop doing what you're doing. He said the average American family is broke, and if average is broke, I don't want to be average. I want to be weird. And so he talks through all this stuff. Um, There are over a million families across the country that have gone through Financial Peace University. The average of those million families during the course of 13 weeks, saves um, $2,700 in emergency fund savings and reduces their debt load by $5,300 in 13 weeks. Now, your amount may be above or below that. I don't know. Um, But what's going to happen is for that $93, it's going to be an incredible investment. And you get all of the print resources, the online resources, and it's a lifetime membership. So you never have to pay for financial peace again. You can just take the class at any point, whether at this church or any other church or any other organization in the future. Um, What if I miss a class? Um, You know, I'm going to be traveling. You know, I sign up for the Sunday afternoon class, but we've got a family vacation that we're taking. Not a problem. We're offering classes on Sunday afternoon, uh, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, Thursday night at 9 o'clock. That's the singles and young adults, 18 to 25. Um, Nate does that. He's the nighttime guy. So I'm I'm in bed by 9. But if you are going to miss a class and you know that, jump to another night. It doesn't matter. 
Um, we're all talking about the same thing every week, okay? We're all doing the same lesson. So if you miss Sunday night, jump in on Tuesday night or jump in on Wednesday night at Monte Cristo Room. Or if you're brave, jump in with those singles and young adults on Thursday night. Um, we are doing middle school and high school curriculum as well. It's a different curriculum. Middle school will be doing it on Wednesday nights. Um, high school will be doing it on Sunday nights. Um, there is a fee for that. I haven't had a chance to really dig into that, so I will find out what that is um, and have you answer for that next week. That was a question that came up today. Do I need to take the class as a couple? Um, what if my spouse doesn't want to take it? Um, you don't need to, but it's beneficial. It's encouraged. Um, there's any way that you can get your spouse to take the class with you. Because you have to change not just your behavior, but your entire family's behavior. And so your spouse coming alongside you will hear the information. You'll be able to process it converse over it together. Um, it's fine if you can't get your spouse to do that. Uh, go ahead and sign up for it. Take the information home and have the conversation at home with them. Um, Again, with missing weeks, I forgot this. Um, there's an audio uh, version in your kit, in your membership kit. You get audio uh, copies of all the lessons, of all of Dave's teaching, so you have that forever. Uh, and then lastly, and this is, this is one that somebody really had a concern about, and I think others do, so I'm glad they asked. Will I have to share any personal financial information with the people I sit with in my table or with the class facilitators? Absolutely not. You do not have to share your personal financial information with anybody else. That is your information. Um, what Dave is going to ask you to do, though, is to take your information and, together as a family, go through a number of homework assignments um, that will help you get your finances back in order. So you'll process through it together as a family, but when you're sitting in class with other people, all you, have to, you don't have to share anything that you don't feel comfortable sharing. So, sound good? All right. Mass Exodus, after this, go sign up, right? Um, if you didn't bring your checkbooks today, that's fine. We're going to be out here for a few more weeks, all the way through September 11th. You can sign up for that. Um, but we are out here right now, and we'll have volunteers out there to, to take registrations. So let me pray. And again, I'm going to pray for Project Freedom Financial Peace, um, but more for the families and for you guys and me um, as we get impacted by this information. So let's pray. Father, you are a God who loves us, who cares for us, who desires to protect us. Father, in your word, we, we, see, um, we see guardrails uh, for how to live our life. And there's an incredible freedom that we have within those guardrails that you give us. But there are certain things that you, you tell us to do definitively and things you tell us not to do. Father, we pray that we can be a people of the word, people who live within those guardrails, knowing that the way you have designed and created it is so much better than the way we could ever figure out how to live our life. Lord, I pray for um, families that will take financial peace this, this semester, this fall semester. Lord, I know that there are, are um, husbands and wives in this room right now um, that are on the brink of divorce over money issues. Father, give them the patience to go through this class together um, before they make any decision. Father, let them experience your presence and your uh, unity as they begin to work on their financial or knowing that it's not beyond recovery. Um, Father, I know that there are families that are on the brink of bankruptcy. And Father, I pray that through financial peace, um, that slowly over time they'll turn the ship around and Lord, they'll move farther and farther away into financial peace. Um, Father, we know that it, it sometimes takes a long time to get where we are. Sometimes it's, it's a dumb decision we make in the heat of a moment um, that puts us in financial crisis. Um, Father, we know that it's not a microwave um, that, you're, that, that Dave Ramsey is going to sell us. It's a crock pot, and it's going to take a long time to get out of it. 
But Father, give us the patience and the discipline and the diligence to pursue um, the biblical stewardship that you outline in your word. Father, thank you. And we pray that as we get our house in order, that we can be people who um, change the world uh, through our families and through our generosity. Um, Father, so that no child around the world goes hungry, no child around the world goes without clothing or shelter, that no family um, dies needlessly with the resources that are so available in this world. Uh, Father, that's our prayer. In the name of Jesus, amen. What are you passionate about? You got your Bibles open to Acts 4. We're going to get to that in just a minute. But, but what are you passionate about? Uh, what is it that you cannot stop talking about? Um, that any chance you have, you're going to tell somebody. I mean, it can be a complete stranger, and you're going to be telling them about it. Uh, Karen and I went up to um, Chicagoland this, this weekend. Uh, one of our friends from college got married. And first marriage, and, and he's, he's kind of this boisterous, gregarious, kind of outgoing guy. And I, I've got to imagine, you know, I haven't been stalking him for a couple of weeks, but I've I got to imagine that everywhere he went and his bride went, they were talking about the wedding. They were excited about the wedding. They were passionate about it. I mean, it would probably come up in the most obscure, random conversations. You know, going through uh, the grocery store line and you're buying, you know, pork chops. And you're like, hey, this is pork chops I'm buying. But, hey, I'm getting married, you know. And it was just overflowing out of him. He couldn't, I'm sure he couldn't help himself. Um, my, my son, Ethan, uh, discovered basketball in these last couple of years. And, I mean, everything Star Wars has pretty much come off the walls and everything Derrick Rose and LeBron James and, every I mean, base, basketball cards. And um, Todd Shire always makes fun of him because he's always wearing this LeBron James or Derrick Rose jersey. It's like all he ever wears. We have to peel it off of him to clean it. And he's constantly talking about basketball. It's like, you know, hey, did you know how many points Derrick Rose stored in that last game? Did you know how many points Kobe Bryant has in his entire career? Hey, did you know this and did you know that? I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> talking about basketball like i'm getting tired of it but he's just so passionate about basketball he loves it and in our community what are we about ready to start friends metamora football right and the phrase is metamora power football and we're going to hear about football for the next 8 12 weeks and then probably longer than that because then you've got nine months to build up you know to the next season um it's just non-stop that we talk about it here in this community I, I love the, the, the guys that are running Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It's a group of students. Um, I love the, uh, the, the T-shirt they made. Um, they made Metamora Power blank, and it says fill in the blank. And on the back, it has every program and, and group in the high school. And so you can have, like, Metamora Power Scholastic Bowl, uh, Metamora Power Pom Poms, right? And I, I just love it because these guys are like, there's so much more than football in our school, and they're just trying to, you know, get people motivated about other things as well. But I love this shirt. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wear one of those. I'm going to buy one of those shirts. Is Tom Hantak here? No? Benjamin? All right, your little brother. I'm going to buy one of those shirts from your little brother, okay? Let him know that. So, You already bought one? Awesome. Um, did you know that Apple Computers hires people? Their specific job title is Apple Evangelist. Their entire career is built around telling people Friends, neighbors, coworkers, strangers, I don't know. I don't know how this works. But their whole job is to be an evangelist for Apple, to tell people about all the products that Apple has. And honestly, folks, for those who know Apple freaks, do they really need to hire anybody for that job? Because those who are really Apple, for Apple fanatics, they tell everybody anyway. I'm not going to say names, but it sounds like Nate Westerfield. Um, oh, I said a name. 
but I'm sitting here with a Mac and an iPhone too, so I'm, I'm not too far off. I'm just not quite the evangelist level. What are you passionate about? What is it you can't stop talking about? I, I think some of the most passionate people that I've ever met are NASCAR fans. Do you know any true NASCAR? Anybody in the house a NASCAR fan? Don't be, don't be ashamed. All right, all right, we got some fingers pointing. There you go. All right, what's your driver? Edwards, all right, all right. Casey King, all right, I don't know who these people are. Um, what, Gordon, Jeff Gordon, okay, I've heard that name. Um, 24, right? All right, I bet anybody in here who's a NASCAR fan, an Indian true NASCAR fan, can tell you everything you never wanted to know about their racer, um, all their stats, their points total, I mean, all this, I don't even know how NASCAR works. It's all left turns, right? I mean, <laughs> left turn. Here we go, left turn. Hey, another left turn. I don't get it. I'm sorry. Um, But NASCAR fans are truly passionate about that sport. And in fact, it is the most watched sport um, in America. Sorry, NASCAR fans. Um, It is the most, I mean, more people watch NASCAR, and NASCAR makes more money than all the other professional sports combined. Did you know that? It is absolutely incredible. I, 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 last Sunday, I was batching it. Karen and the kids were gone. I went out to lunch with uh, good friends Chris and Chelsea Corwin. They just had a baby this week. And we're sitting in IHOP, and Chris goes, Hey, did you, did you hear about this NASCAR pastor's prayer? And I was like, No. And so he pulls it up on his phone and shows me. I was rolling. And so I was already going to plan on using NASCAR as an illustration, so it worked perfectly. Um, so you're going to watch it. So enjoy this, uh, this pastor's prayer at a recent NASCAR race. give thanks. So we want to thank you tonight for these mighty machines that you brought before us. Thank you for the Dodges and the Toyotas. Thank you for the Fords. And most of all, we thank you for Roush and Yates partnering to give us the power that we see before us tonight. Thank you for GM Performance Technology and the R07 engines. Thank you for Sunoco Racing Fuel and Goodyear tires that bring performance and power to the track. Lord, I want to thank you for my smoking hot wife tonight, Lisa. My two children, Eli and Emma, or as we like to call them, the little E's. Lord, I pray you bless the drivers and use them tonight. May they put on a performance worthy of this great track. In Jesus' name, boogity, 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 amen. I'm pretty sure that's borderline blasphemy, but I'm not sure. I'm also confident that if I ever said smoking hot wife about Karen, she'd slap me to know it. Whether, I mean, I, I don't think I can even say that at home, Leo. Much less on national televised. Wow. But he's passionate, right? Loves his Jesus and loves his NASCAR. And uh, we'll just leave it at that. Um, you got your Bibles. Turn to Acts chapter uh, 4. And uh, Bill has been talking in this series called Unstoppable. And we've covered Acts chapters 1, 2, and 3 so far. We're going to jump into about half of chapter 4 today. But I just want to recap a little bit. Acts chapter 1, we see Jesus and his ascension into heaven, and the apostles are there. um, And the angels say, you know, he's going to return just like you've seen him come. Um, Jesus' words to the apostles were, stay here in Jerusalem, wait, um, and the Holy Spirit will come to you. And you'll be my witnesses, Acts 1, 8. You'll be my witnesses in in Judea and Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. 
Um, so they're waiting. And so Acts 2 is the day of Pentecost. The apostles and about 120 people are in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit descends like tongues of fire on them. And they begin to speak in foreign languages, languages they've never spoken before, which would have been really helpful when the Basque were here. Um, <laughs> Because I, I hung out with some of those students, and I'm pretty sure they were making fun of my bald head. Um, I'm not sure. But I, I had no clue what they are saying. You know, it would have been nice to have a little Holy Spirit presence there. Uh, but they began to speak in tongues that they'd never spoken before. And, and the crowd gathered around in Jerusalem. was like, oh, these guys are drunk. And, and Peter gets up, and he, his first major sermon, he's like, hey, they're not drunk. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. And he said the Spirit is working through him. And he begins to, to deliver this message. He's just it's really convicting. I mean, he's not pulling any punches with these people. And he says, you, the ones that crucified Jesus. And it says they repented in Acts 2.38. Uh, they, when they asked, what should we do? He says, um, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Well, Acts 3, Peter and John are, are going to the, to the temple and, uh, because they're devout Jews. They, they went at 9, 3, and 6 every day. Um, so they're going at 3 o'clock in the afternoon just to pray. And Bill taught this last week, um, just to pray. That's why they were going. And as they go in, there was this man that we know is about 40 years old um, who was born uh, lame, couldn't walk, uh, placed there by his friends or family every day at this gate called Beautiful, which, by the way, was the largest gate in the entire temple. It was the most ornate, most expensive gate in Jerusalem, and it was a place where everybody came through to give money to the temple. Great place if you're a beggar, right? And so he's there, and Peter and John are about to walk by him. Scripture says that the, the man drew their attention to him, and they, they responded, we don't have anything. Silver and gold we have not. What we, give you in the na- we, what we have we give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And Peter reaches down, and, and the man instantly stands up. His legs are healed. He begins to walk and jump and run around. And they go into the temple, and, and we get the idea that they prayed, and then they came back out. And a large crowd begins to gather around uh, Peter and John because this is a guy they've seen lay there for years. And they, ha- they have this opportunity to just preach the gospel. And again, Peter doesn't pull any punches as he's talking. And he talks about, you crucified Jesus. And it says that people turn to him. And then we pick up in Acts 4. And uh, in Acts 4, what I want to do is I want to read verses 1 through 22 together. And then I'm going to come back and, and pull some highlights out for us, if you will. So uh, look in your Bibles, Acts chapter 4. Um, I am reading, I think, from the NIV or the TNIV, uh, so it might be a little different than what you've got. But Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, uh, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Um, Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, By what power or what name did you do this? And then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, "Uh, Rulers and elders of the people, if we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. A salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. 
So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. What are we going to do with these men, they asked. Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign. I believe your text probably says a miracle. Um, And we cannot deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. After further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Now, as I read that, there's some questions that come to mind. First of all, who were the Sadducees and why were they so upset at Peter and John um, preaching to the crowd? I mean, what's the deal there? Why, why were they upset? Well, the Sadducees was a group of 70 men from the priestly line who were essentially the aristocrats. They were the ones who were in charge of the temple. They had um, the power and the authority in the temple. And, and it's not like this group just kind of appeared out of nowhere. They actually have roots in the Old Testament. Um, Numbers 11, 16 and 17, we're going to have up here on the screen. Uh, Moses and the Israelites are in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. They haven't gone in the promised land yet. Um, and, and God looks down and he realizes, Moses, you can't really lead all these people by yourself. You need some help. And so he says to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. Have them come to the tent of meeting that they may stand there with you. I will come down and speak with you there. And I will take of the spirit that is on you and put the spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so you will not have to carry it alone. So their historical roots were actually noble. I mean, God ordained. God said, choose 70 men and I will put my spirit on them and they will help you rule the nation of Israel. Unfortunately, over time, that group of 70 people evolved into something God never intended to evolve and became more of a political um, uh, position and and a a position of authority than what God really intended it to be. So when Peter and John, um, they're in the temple, this is where the Sadducees have their power. Um, They've healed the man, and now a crowd of onlookers have come out, um, and they're, they're beginning to teach where the Sadducees teach. They're beginning to draw people to them away from the Sadducees. The Sadducees are going to get upset because they're challenging their authority. They're challenging uh, what is supposedly rightfully theirs. But that's not the only thing they're challenging. Peter and John are also challenging their theology. Does anybody know what the Sadducees believed and didn't believe um, that Peter and John were challenging? Say it. Resurrection of the dead. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection of the dead or in a personal Messiah. And so listen um, to what Peter says here in the Sanhedrin, same, almost the same words, um, similar words that he said to the crowd. Um, he says, If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who is lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Strike one. Sadducees, we don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Jesus couldn't have risen from the dead. And you're standing in our house telling people that, that our theology is wrong? I don't think so. We're going to be a little upset about that. Not only that, he goes on, he says, Jesus is a stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name given under heaven by which we must be saved. Sadducees didn't believe in a personal Messiah. It was a, a, a national Messiah, a corporate Messiah, if you would. Not for individuals. And here Peter and John are saying, all men 
must be saved through the single name of Jesus Christ. And so Peter and John are not only challenging their authority, they're challenging their theology. And, and I love the fact that they're doing it right there where they have their power. And you begin to understand why the Sadducees were a little upset and why they arrested them. Now, Peter and John, I don't think they, they went to the temple that day looking to be arrested. I, I don't think they went there with the intent of, hey, we're going to cause a, uh, some chaos and, and confusion and we're going to be arrested. And, and that's going to give us an opportunity to, to teach to the elite leaders of the nation of Israel. I don't, think that, I don't think they went there looking for that. They went there to pray. God simply opened a door, and Peter responded appropriately. And we're going to get to that here in a little bit. But I love what the Sadducees say here, what the text says in verse 13. It says, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. You remember Peter's story, right? Bill asked this question last week. What did Peter do before he spoke to the Sadducees here? He's a fisherman. Jesus recruits him off the, off the shore while he's out fishing with his family business. And so Peter was probably had a, a little bit of education, maybe to five, six, seven years old. But beyond that, he was apprenticed under his father or under an uncle or another person in the community. So he learned fishing. And, and then all of a sudden Jesus calls him and he has two to three years of this, this traveling with Jesus and learning all this stuff with Jesus. And then, you know, I mean, Peter, we know Peter, he's, he's impetuous. He speaks before he thinks and he acts before he thinks. And uh, remember the night that Jesus was arrested, he, he pulled out his sword and he cut off the high priest servant's ear, which... If you're a fisherman, really, you have a sword, why? You know, I think he was aiming for the guy's neck, and he just, bad aim, you know, cut off his ear. Um, Jesus heals him, and, you know, that night, too, Peter had said to Jesus, you know, wherever you go, I'll go. You die, I'll die. And, and Jesus said, you know what, you're going to deny me three times. And Peter's like, if all others fall away, I will follow you. And we know the story. We know that Peter, that night, denies knowing Jesus three times. And when Jesus dies and is buried, where do we find Peter. He's back fishing. And I love, love the story of restoration in John 20. It is so promising for us today. Peter and his fellow fishermen are out there, and they're not having any luck. And all of a sudden he looks up, and there's Jesus on the shore cooking fish over coals. And Peter jumps out of the boat, swims to the shore. And Peter and Jesus asks Peter three questions. You know, do you love me? Yes, you know, do you love me? Yes, you and, and, and Peter was a little upset that he asked three times. I'm sure Jesus was a little upset that he denied him three times. But three denials, three affirmations, Jesus restores Peter back to his role and says, all is forgiven. And then we see Peter in the upper room, and we see Peter at the day of Pentecost, and we see Peter uh, healing the man, and we see Peter preaching. We see Peter now before the Sadducees. God has done incredible things through this man, and the Sadducees knew it. They were ordinary, unschooled men. And when Peter had the opportunity, he didn't go into some big elaborate thing. He just spoke the truth. And he spoke it plainly, simply. This is who Jesus was. This is what you did. Now, what are you going to do about that? He just kind of lays it out there for the Sadducees, for all the people. And the people respond. But he tailored his, his message to his audience. Notice that, that in Acts 3, the message that he gave to the onlookers was different than the message he gave to the Sadducees in Acts 4. There's some interesting thoughts there. Now, what I want to do in the, the little bit of remaining time I have, I want to give you kind of evangelism for dummies, if you will, okay? Evangelism is just a church word for sharing about Jesus. Um, 
but the problem is so many of us get so wrapped up in this concept and so intimidated by sharing our faith that we end up, as a result, never talking about Jesus at all. We're passionate about everything else, and we tell everybody about everything else in our life, but we don't tell, us, tell people about the thing and the person that should be most passionate to us. And so what I want to do is I just want to free you up a little bit, give you a very simple approach to sharing about Jesus, all right? Um, number one, watch for teachable moments. There are going to be times when God presents an opportunity in front of you that you can share maybe about Jesus or something from the scriptures or something that the church is doing or, or, or some word of encouragement. God is going to put those in front of you. And what you have to do is you have to be willing to walk through those doors. Uh, perhaps you need to start praying for those opportunities. Um, I, I love the story of Nick Lee. I don't, are the Lees here? No? Okay. Um, the Lee family hosted one of the Basque students, Inigo, and one of Inigo's friends is John. And uh, the Lee family and Inigo and John went to uh, Ozarks down in Missouri. And uh, while they're there, they're boating and they're swimming and fishing and all this stuff. And, uh, you know, we're, we're taught as the leaders of the church and the host families that um, these Basque students, you know, they don't know Christ. They're far from Christ. So be very sensitive about how you bring up spiritual matters. Um, don't let's like rush into it. You know, you got to kind of make sure you ease it into the conversation at an appropriate level. And if you can move them from a negative 10 being an atheist to a negative 9 to I might not be an atheist um, in four weeks, that's great. But if you, don't even think you can do that. And so we're all, as adults and host families, we're kind of walking around in eggshells around these bastions, like, what do we talk about? As we plan our sermon series, our weekend services, we're like, okay, the bastions are going to be here. What do we do? What do we say? What songs? What do we teach? That type of stuff. We're being really careful about this. And I love Nick Lee. He's a middle school student. Um, he picked out a t-shirt in the Ozarks, and it was an allusion to Jesus walking on water. And the whole family starts laughing. Ha ha, that's pretty funny. And Jan is standing there, and he goes, I don't get it. What's so funny? And Nick goes, you don't know the story about Jesus walking on water? No. What do you mean? Okay, wait. You know who Jesus is, right? And Nick just, bam, double barrel going, tells John all about Jesus, who he was, what he came for, about walking on water and all this stuff. And Lisa and Chris are just like, oh my gosh, we're not supposed to do that. Nick didn't know any better. He didn't care. It was an opportunity to share his faith and what he knew about Jesus. And he went for it. So many of us are educated beyond our obedience that we talk ourselves out of those teachable moments. We have to enter into them. Uh, number two, you've got to let the Holy Spirit guide you. Um, you've got to let the Holy Spirit give you the words. Notice that the text says that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, Mark 10 and Luke 12, Jesus teaches that for his early followers, he said, don't worry when you get arrested for me. Okay, good. Um, he said, when you stand before the judge, uh, don't worry about what you're going to say. The Holy Spirit will give you the words to say. And it was just incredibly liberating. Just, okay, God, speak through me. I mean, that's my prayer whenever I preach is God let Chris get out of the way and just the Holy Spirit speak through me. I remember in college, I was a junior. Um, I just told Karen I was going to use this illustration, so um, I might pay for this later. Um, I was a junior taking a freshman-level speech class. And I don't know why I'd gotten away without taking my freshman, sophomore year. So I'm like 20 years old, and there's these 18-year-old kids in there. I was, you know, two years superior, wiser. And uh, we had to give different types of speech over the course of the semester. And one of the speeches was a reactionary speech. We had to, to try and get some sort of reaction out of the, out of the audience. And so I, I really wrestled with this. Um, but finally, I just, I just submitted, and I said, okay, God, I'm going to do it. So I stood up in front of this group on a secular campus, and I said, my name is Chris Genders. I'm 20 years old, 20, 
20 years old, and I've never had sex. And I just went into the physical reasons, the medical, the emotional, and then the spiritual. And I spent most of my time in a secular campus teaching people why they shouldn't be having sex from a biblical standpoint. And I remember after the, after the speech, they had Q&A time after every speech. And so they could just lob whatever questions you want. And they all knew the medical reasons. They all knew the emotional. They wanted to know why in the world I would do that based on this book. And so we spent like 30 minutes just answering all these questions they were lobbing at me. And I don't remember a single thing I said. I don't. I was walking across campus and I'm like, I'm like, that oh, was incredible. What did I say? Like, I need to take notes. Like, do we record it? Can I go back? I, I didn't remember. But it was a moment where I just let the Holy Spirit speak through me. And if I can be honest, that's my counseling method too. Um, when you guys come to my office and you're like, hey, life's falling apart, and I'm like, I don't know what to say. And so I'm like, oh my gosh, Spirit, speak through me right now. I don't know what to say to this person. And I remember I hadn't had this uh, counseling session last year, and, and I went home to Karen, and I'm like, I'm like, this is what I said. She goes, you said that? I'm like, I know. Where did that come from? Like, that's not me. And she's like, it almost sounds like you're a counselor. I'm like, I don't know. Let the Holy Spirit give you the words to say. Stop worrying about it. And let the Spirit speak through you. And third, and this is the big one, share what you know and don't worry about what you don't know. So many of us, we get caught up thinking that they're going to ask me a question or I don't know the Bible well enough and what if I don't know the answer to it or, or you know, what if I mess up or um, what if I say the wrong thing or what if they don't like me? Um, what, you know, what if, what if, what if? And with all those what if questions, as a result, we talk more about NASCAR and basketball than we ever do about Jesus. So share what you know and don't worry about what you don't know. And here's what you know. Number one, you know your personal story. Uh, this is who I was before Christ this is how I met Christ, and this is who I am now. Nobody can refute that. They're not going to tell you that's theologically inaccurate. It's what happened, okay? Um, I, I grew up in a good home, um, but I didn't know Christ. I, went, I started going to church a little bit. I went to college. Everything was changing. Christ met me at 3 o'clock in the morning in my dorm room. I became a Christian. I got involved in campus ministry. I owned a Dairy Queen. I became a pastor. I am here now. Um, not ever where I intended to be. Share your personal story, who you were, how you met Christ, who you are now. Secondly, share scriptural truth, biblical truth. You know, we're supposed to know this book. And so memorize some scripture. I was so proud. One of our high school students, I saw her in her Bible this morning. Um, she's got some memory verses that she's been working on all summer long. Um, hide this word in your heart so that God can use it. The Holy Spirit can bring it up. And when somebody's going through something and, and the Holy Spirit says, you know what, in Galatians 6, it says, uh, do not carry, you know, carry each other's burdens. And this way you fulfill the law of Christ. In Ecclesiastes 4, uh, two are better than one for they have a better return for their work. Pity the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. Put those scriptures in your heart and let God speak through you. It's okay if you don't have all the answers to this book. I don't have all the answers to this book, but that shouldn't stop us from talking about this book with people. And then third, if nothing else, if all you know is that Great Oaks is having an event, share that. Let us handle the tough questions. Let us handle everything. You simply introduce somebody to this church or to any other church that preaches Christ. It's not about Great Oaks. It's about Christ. Um, I, I got an email last week from a pastor over in Washington. He said, Chris, thanks for sending over that young couple because they, you knew that they liked this style of teaching versus what you do at Great Oaks. Not a problem. I'm glad I could. 
when we take people through first step class, we tell them up front, some of you may like this church, some of you may not. And if you don't, I will help you find a church that's a better fit for you. And I have. I can tell you people that I've sent to other churches. It doesn't matter about Great Oaks. You're introducing them to Christ. Um, at this wedding we were at in Chicago, um, one of the guys from college that was there as well lives over in Morton and, and attends a church over there. Well, he knows a young couple that just moved to Germantown Hills. And so yesterday he said, hey, Chris, um, I just sent this young couple to your church. Um, and so I hope they show up. I don't know. I think they will. Um, but Morton's too far for them to go, and they were looking for something in their backyard. And I said, hey, Great Oaks is a great church. Go check it out. I love that. It's a kingdom perspective. Um, when we were living in Chicagoland, we lived about 30, 35 minutes away from the church. And my neighbors weren't, they weren't Christians. They weren't going to make the drive to my church that I worked at, uh, no matter what I thought about it. And so I would send people to the church five minutes down the road because I knew it was a Christ-centered, biblically accurate church. And so maybe if that's all you know is that, hey, Great Oaks is doing this or Willow Hill is doing this or the Rock Church is doing this or name your church. It doesn't matter. If you know something that a church is doing and you talk to somebody who has a need and that church can meet that need, introduce them to that church and let that church introduce them to Christ. That's all you have to do. Acts 4.20. Peter and John standing before the Sadducees. And then they're challenged, admonished, warned, threatened. Don't speak about Christ. Don't share that name anymore. And Acts 20, verse 4, chapter 4, verse 20. He says, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. We, we can't help speaking about Jesus. Do you know what he did in my life, Peter says? Do you know what he, he taught us about the kingdom of heaven? We can't help teaching and talking about Christ. And so my question for you this morning is, are we as passionate about Christ as we are about fill in the blank? Are we as passionate about Christ as we are about NASCAR, basketball, metamora football, backpacking, whitewater rafting, sewing, whatever your blank may be? Are you as passionate or more passionate, I think we should be, about talking about Christ and weaving him and scripture and church into the conversation than you are about anything else? I'm going to let the Holy Spirit wrestle with you on that one. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.